praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles tonight, we're turning to the book of Mark, chapter number 7. The book of Mark, chapter number 7. I want to stand to our feet tonight in reverence to the reading of God's precious word. I want, there's a lot of verses we want to try to cover tonight, but I want to read the first two, if that would be all right. Mark chapter 7 and verse number 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat, with bread, eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. See that? They found fault with the disciples because they were eating with unwashing hands. Preacher Darren, in the days of COVID, I think I could find a little fault too, amen, somebody eating with unwashing hands. Well, I want to preach on this thought from Mark chapter 7. We'll cover a number of verses tonight, but I'll preach on this thought, the danger of tradition. Be careful. Some of us, we like tradition. We're emphatic about tradition. We'll underscore it. We'll put exclamation marks after it. But tradition can get you in trouble if you're not careful. Amen. So tonight we're going to look at the danger of tradition. We're going to compare tradition to truth and see what's greater. Amen. What do you think is going to win? Tradition or truth? Truth. Amen. Amen. Father, would you help us now to preach in the power and the, uh, the, uh, the, the blessing of the Holy Ghost of God? Lord, I need your help. God, I pray you touch my body, touch my mind, touch my spirit, touch my soul. Help us, God, I pray, to lift up Jesus tonight and examine the truth. And for this I pray in Jesus' name, all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. Uh, you may be seated. I have tonight here an old pocket watch. And um, it looks like pretty much any other pocket watch. Uh, it's pocket watch that grandpas carry around and young people carry around and it looks nice it's got hands and it's got a case and it's got a face and it has a chain and it has all the requisite parts that are necessary for it to function as a timepiece however there's a problem with this watch preacher it won't run <laughs> and you know why it won't run because inside this case in the heart of this watch, it's defective. Something's wrong with it. Its heart's not working or operating properly. You got to be careful because there's a lot of people in religious circles tonight who are just like this watch. They're good to look at on the outside, but on the inside, something's defective. On the inside, they're not what they really appear to be. Say amen. They can't truly worship God or bring glory to God because their heart is far from Him. They have a problem that's inside their heart. Yes, it is it, it very good for us to attend church. But just because we attend church doesn't mean we worship Him from the heart. We have a, I looked at the sign as I came in down here. and It says worship service at 11 a.m. And I'll say that every 11 a.m. service may not have been worshiped service amen it may have been service but it might not have been worship service amen if Christ is not put first in our lives then we're going to have a heart problem and there's a lot of people that's filled with tradition saying I'm doing this 
because I honor Jesus. But you got to be careful about tradition because a lot of times it's just been passed down through families, through society under present day. I'll give you a case, uh, illustration. I had uh, gone to preach revival, had a number of souls saved there. On uh, Friday night, I went to eat with these people up at their house after the service was over. Man, they had a fresh, homemade loaf of bread, probably one of the best loaves of bread I'd ever had that was homemade. And I noticed when they brought it out and served it that both ends was chopped off of it. And I said, let me tell y'all, I'm just going to pay you some, some due respect. This is the best bread I've ever had in my entire life. And I said, what's the secret? Is it that you chop both ends off of it? When you, what is it? And the, the lady said, I don't know. She said, my mama always served it with both ends chopped off of it. And she's in the kitchen. I'll go in there and ask her. I said, well, I'd like to know. So she went in there, and she, come, she asked her mama. She said, Mom, the preacher's really enjoying the bread. She said, well, that's wonderful, praise the Lord. Well, he wants to know if it's fresher than any other bread because both ends is chopped off of it. And she said, well, I don't know. She said, ask your grandma. She said, she's the one taught me how to do it like this. And grandma's standing right there and said, Grandma, why do you serve the bread like that? Does that make it fresher? The preacher's out here wants to know. She said, Land sakes alive, young as my mama taught me to do it like that, but the reason she did was because her pan to serve it in wasn't big enough. So she cut both ends off of it to make it look like it fit the pan perfectly. And all these years, that method had been passed down from generation to generation to the fourth generation now, all because somebody didn't have a pan that was big enough. Sometimes we need to figure out why we do what we do. Oh, no, preacher, look out. We're going to be in trouble tonight. When tradition no longer serves its practical purpose, amen, it needs to be forsaken. Did you know in the 16th century, men shaved their heads for hygiene and then they put on white wigs and they wore white wigs around everywhere they went? Thank God they stopped that tradition. Amen. In Russia. Uh, there was a sentry standing there at post guarding a sp particular spot. And a man came and said, why are you standing here? There's nothing here. He said, I'm assigned to guard this post. I've been guarding it for over five years. Go ask my captain. They went and asked the captain, why is your guard there? He said, I don't know. It was assigned to me by my boss. It went all the way up to the chain of command. It was learned that Catherine... The great gave the order for a sentry to stand guard there over her rose bush to keep it from being trampled upon. It was in 1730 that that guard was signed there and the rose bush is dead and gone, but they're still standing there guarding absolutely nothing because of tradition. Anytime tradition is exalted above the truth, of the word of God, there is a problem. It is amazing tonight how many people uh, will observe tradition but will neglect the truth. People go to church and it's right to go, but when you go, you ought to worship, amen. Just because you go to church on Easter, don't make you a Christian. Preacher, you're gonna make me fight mad. I walked in this afternoon underneath this carport. Didn't turn me into a Buick, Amen. Does, doesn't mean I'm, I'm ready to start riding on the highways here and start as a car. Let me just say tonight, I want to talk about times when tradition has superseded truth. And we're looking at one of those points tonight. What happens to people? How do you know that people are observing tradition over truth? It'll do four things. 
And you'll find it in this text. Number one, the first thing you see when you start observing tradition over truth, it will produce a critical spirit. Oh, how many times I've had people criticize down through the years. We don't do it this way. We've never done it this way. You know why? Tradition, we've always done it a certain way. And now that we've made a little change, oh, Lord, look out. Amen? So look here at the text. The Bible says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes. So you have these religious rulers. They're coming from Jerusalem. They've come probably at least 16 miles. And I'm going to tell you why they came. They came to find fault with Jesus. When they got there, verse 2 said, They saw his disciples eat bread with unwashing hands. But this was just jumping out on the page in verse 2. The Bible says they ate bread with defiled. That tells me that the Pharisees are not just upset because they didn't wash their hands, right, before they ate. It was that they were defiled. In other words, they didn't do it ceremonially. Did you know that the Pharisees and the scribes have this document, this great big book called the Mishnah. And in it are all these rules about how to clean pots, how to clean cups, how to clean tables, amen. And in that is a thing, a rule that says this is how much water you're supposed to use when you wash your hands and this is how many times you're supposed to scrub your hands just like somebody said, well, we believe because of the day and age in which we live, the water temperature has to be such and such. You have to scrub for at least two minutes. Hey, y'all have heard that, right? You've got to scrub for at least two minutes to get all the germs away. That's the way the Pharisees and the scribes were. And when they came and saw that the disciples did not observe how much, how many ounces of water and how, listen, and how much... Uh, hand wash, how much uh, uh, what I call sanitizer they were supposed to put on there, amen. They got upset and they didn't get upset with the disciples. They got upset with Jesus because he didn't rebuke them. So the Bible says they found fault. I underlined that in my Bible and I highlighted it too because anytime tradition tries to make a statement, it's always going to find fault. These Pharisees, they, the reason they did all this was so they could go places and they felt clean and they felt like they were better than everybody else they came in contact with. And they'd been to the marketplace as they traveled these 16 plus miles to come to Jerusalem and no doubt they've come in contact with some Gentile people, some people they thought were less than them. And it made them unclean. And they felt like the disciples is among Gentile people too. And it makes them unclean. And they need to use so many ounces. And they need to scrub for so long. And they didn't meet our demands. They didn't meet our Mishnah. And now we're upset and we're mad. They thought that outward performance was something that would commend them to God when they ought to have been observing the inward purity of the heart. Many times we worry about the outside. Did you see what so and so? Listen, there was a man and his wife went to church. On the way home, his wife said, did you see what so and so wore? He said, no. Did you see who was talking to so and so? No. Did you hear them bad notes so and so sung? No. Did you pay attention to how loud our preacher was when he was on that one point right there? No. She said, I don't know why you go to church. You don't get anything out of it. 
I'm not here to see who sings with so-and-so and and who shakes hands with so-and-so. I'm here, honey, not to observe how you are dressing, amen. I am here. I do believe you ought to come to the house of God, right? But I'm saying, amen, that we come to worship Jesus. Amen. These Pharisees and scribes are self-seekers and they do not see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior. So their tradition got in the way of their worship. And we'll read verse 3. The Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Oh, I forgot to mention the brazen vessels. They'll probably get me on that right there, amen. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? When they came all these miles to hear Jesus and to be around him, they didn't say, Hello, it's good to meet you. How you doing? The first thing they did was ask a question so as to find fault and criticize. Not how was your day, not how. Listen, it was to criticize. Tradition will always produce a critical spirit. Hey, one time somebody said, Preacher, could you, could, can you as a pastor proclaim? They asked me, can you as a pastor proclaim and say to your church, we're going to have a time of fasting? I said, yeah. They said, what gives you the authority and the right to tell your church that we're going to have a time of fasting? I said, God gave me that authority. And if God commands that we ought to have a time of fasting, then we're going to have it, amen. And you may say, well, preacher Darren, I'm not going to observe to do it. That's your business, amen. But if God commands us to do it, then we need to do it. One time, I, I felt led to fast before Bible school. I was praying that God would save souls. And God would help me to preach, begging God that he would do a great work. And the first night of Bible school, our vacation Bible school directors, I won't call any names, Beverly and Gina, oh, that slipped out, sorry, said, Preacher, will you go and get us pizzas? Now, here's a man that's been fasting for about 24 hours that's gone down here to pick up pizzas from the good old-fashioned pizza hut maybe 75 or 100 of them, and I've got to carry them back in my vehicle while I'm fasting. Don't you know that I was tempted of the devil to blow the fast right there and say, listen, just get you one of them pizzas. You're the pastor. Get you some pizza. But I'm telling you, Tuesday night, they was, go get Wednesday night, go get Chick-fil-A. Of course Wednesday night, go get Chick-fil-A because I'm fasting. They don't know I'm fasting, and I'm telling you about it now after it's over, but I was fasting for three full days, the fourth day came. I said, Lord, I'm not going to fast till I preach. And that night, God saved 30-some young people some years ago. And I'm going to tell you something. Preacher Darren, what did you do? I fasted another day to thank him. I'm going to ask you tonight, I want you to fast from complaining. From a critical spirit. I'm not asking you to stop eating pizza, stop eating Chick-fil-A, and I know many of you are going, praise God. I love our preacher. But I'm just going to ask you to fast for 24 hours from a critical spirit. And I'll tell you, some of you won't make it out of the door or out of the parking lot for you're already saying, they cut me off. They, why, they didn't, why didn't they go through that red light? And, Amen. 
we have a critical spirit. Number two, when I look in verse six, tradition promotes a false spirituality. Look what Jesus said to them. He answered and said unto them, well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. Underline that. You know what Jesus just called them? Hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is? He's a pretender. He's an actor. He's playing a part. He's playing a role. Jesus says to them, I know you boys are pretending to be religious and you're clean on the outside, but inside you're full of poison. Called them hypocrites. He's going to quote some scripture to them. He says, as it is written, this is, this is quoting Isaiah 29, 13. This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What about that? You, your, your lips do not match your lifestyle. Amen? You ever met people that you feel as a, what you're saying and what you're, I can't hear what you're saying for what you're doing. Your, your life and your lips don't match up, amen? That's what Jesus is saying. You, your lips want to honor me, but uh, your heart, just like this watch, is far from me and is keeping you from working and serving and worshiping God. Verse 7, how be it in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. So we said you're teaching the commandments of men as doctrine. You boys are a bunch of masters of deception. Your religious showing is not telling us about your spirituality because you flatlined. You are dead in trespasses and in sin in holding to your traditions. Amen? So it will produce or promote false spirituality. You'll see people that'll pretend to be something that they're really not. When you're holding to a tradition. Preacher Darren, how do you know? You, you, it, you, you're judging people. Oh, it takes one to know one. I've done it. Have you ever tried to hold your tradition and then you went, you knucklehead, can't you see that, that what this is, this really don't even matter to God. God, this is not even concerned to him. This is what he's looking for, not what you're thinking it is, and it's false spirituality. And I'm going to say this, our churches are filled with it. Thirdly, when you look to tradition over truth, it will profane scripture. <gasps> Preacher, it can't be done. You can't profane scripture. Watch what Jesus says in verse 9. He said unto them, Full well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. You see that? You, you, look, you have rejected. The commandment of God is His Word. His Word. You've rejected His Word that you may keep your own traditions. Okay? Prove it. He's going to give you just one. And there are many others. He says right here, in verse 10, for Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother. Seth, what commandment is that? The fifth one, right? The fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. 
The book of Exodus says that your days may be long upon the earth. I looked up other scriptures today all through the book of Exodus and it said that if you were to curse your parents or you weren't, you weren't going to honor them, that they could put you to death. That's what the Bible says. You could be put to death. I read it in Exodus. I'll preach it here and I just don't think so. Verse 10, for Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. What about that? They could be put to death. That Jesus is quoting that, amen. You know what he's saying? Honor is not just about respecting your parents. It's about also taking care of their every need. The financial things. We as children have an obligation, a responsibility, according to the word of God, not just to honor them and respect them, but to take care of their needs all the days of their life. Preacher, I just don't think that's fair. Well, let's consider you when you were two months old and you had a diaper rash. Could you put the little ointment on there by yourself? Could you get your little messy diaper off? What was you going to do for food? How's you going to pay the power bill? How's you going to drive yourself down to the doctor when you got the pneumonia? You know who took care of you when you couldn't take care of yourself? Your mama and your daddy. And now that you're able to do some things on your own, you want to forget about who took care of you? I want to say that I got a good mama and I got a good daddy for putting up with the likes of me. And the least I can do is honor them and respect them and take care of them. Amen? Now, this, he, he said that's what the Word of God says. And there's no debating that. I found it all through the Scripture. Verse 11, but ye say, now underline three words, but ye say. He didn't, he, this way he said, this is not in the scriptures. You can't find it in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is what ye say. This, this is according to you. Ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Preacher Darren, what does that mean? <laughs> Glad you asked. The word of God is very clear. We're to honor our father and our mother and to take care of them. But in the Mishnah, they came up with a rule to get them out of their responsibility, to get them out, to cause them to neglect the duty God called them to. They said, what we'll do is we'll come up with a thing called Corbin. That means rather than take care of them, I've got the money, I've got the means, I've got the ability, but rather than do that, I'm going to say I'm dedicating this, I've dedicated this money for the service of God. So I can't take care of mama and I can't take care of daddy because God's more important and God should be number one. So they said, therefore, because it's Corbin, it can't go to mom and daddy. But now the word of God would never, ever have a contradiction. And what they would do with their little Corbin was more times than not, it would never go to the house of God. Not even a percentage necessary. They used it for their own pockets to build houses and buy other things and 
And so what they've done is, because they called it Corban, and it's in the Mishnah, which is not the Word of God, therefore, they have neglected their responsibility. It has become a tradition, and I just get out of it by saying, Corban, and I look spiritual. Well, fooey on that junk. That is, listen, that is complete, I got a big Greek word for you, hogwash. Jesus said, by your tradition, through your tradition, verse 13, you have made the word of God none effect. What you're doing is you're trying to justify yourself and you're trying to invalidate the scripture. Tradition will oftentimes try to profane the scripture, to find the loophole and a way around it. Rather than give my tithe, I'll say I'm tithing to take care of my kids. Don't get quiet on me now. It's done all the time. It's done all the time. The fourth thing that tradition will do when it tries to uh, come against the truth, it will pervert the doctrine known as sin. I believe that if I'm sick and I go to see the doctor, what I'm looking from the doctor is a diagnosis. Why, what, what's wrong with me, doc? I'm sick. Tell me what's wrong with me and then give me something that will cure it. Jesus said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when I say all, it includes you and me. All of us are sinners. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wage of sin is? Death, right? So there's nothing good about us that we can ever get to heaven on our own because our hearts are evil. Our hearts are wicked before God. We're in need of a Savior. So the doctrine of sin says the first thing I need to do is I need to realize that I'm a sinner. Then I need to recognize that someone loved me enough to take my sins upon himself and to take the wrath of God. Why did Jesus die on the cross? He was not a sinner. He was not a criminal. Why was he punished? Because he came to take upon himself my sin and your sin and God had him punished so that we could be set free. We need to recognize the Savior. But tradition will oftentimes cause you to pervert the doctrine of sin. Verse 14, when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, hearken unto me every one of you and understand. So the crowd, he's gathering them around. This entire crowd has long been deceived and confused by these religious leaders. And he's going to blow it out. Verse 15. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. Well, wait a minute, preacher Darren. I, I think, I think such and such this, the, in taking this and and, and doing that, I, preacher, to me that's a sin. Wait a minute before you go there. Let's look at where sin really starts. Starts right there in the heart. You wouldn't be able to do anything else other than what started in your heart. It starts from the desires, the wickedness of our old flesh. You know where you want to cuss from? You know where you want to get angry? You know where you want to throw things? You know where you want to drink? You know where you want to do all these things? It started right there in your heart. That's the problem. Don't say it's something else. 
That's the problem. Jesus just, Jesus just said, it's not what's on the outside that's coming into you that's causing you to sin. It's what's already in there in your heart. Verse 16, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Y'all looking at me? The problem is not unclean hands. It's an impure heart. We can do this all we want to. Won't make us saved. If I thought that putting you in that water right there called the baptistry, if I thought that would save you, I'd get a fire hose Sunday morning and I'd wet every single one of you. Preacher Darren, I'd be mad at you. Yeah, but at least you'd be going to heaven. You see, baptism won't do it, will it? Baptism is not going to purify your heart. That's an outward thing. It's external. That's something you do. That's the first commandment you obey after you get saved. It'll be obedience with it. Well, preacher, there we've had to cancel for this and had to cancel. The devil's fighting it. It must be more going to get saved, I believe. Amen. I, the devil's fighting it. I'm just telling you, baptism is true. Preacher, I know people that says that you're saved by baptism. That is tradition. The Word of God does not teach that. Preacher Darren, I think you ought to be faithful to Sunday school. Hey, that's good. I like it too. But that won't save you. Preacher Darren, I think you ought to always be in the worship service. You mentioned ago, a little bit ago about Easter. Just come to Easter service. Don't make me a Christian. No, it don't. You can be faithful and come every single year for 30 years, but it will not save you. It is a matter of your heart. You must realize you're a sinner and recognize he's a Savior. And repent of your sins and call upon him. Look with me in verse number 17. When he was entered into the house from the people, and, and, and I think out of Matthew's gospel that probably he's gone back to Simon Peter's house uh, and, and he's entered into the house and when he does, his, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. They're like, hey, you talk about, are you serious? I mean, you've offended these Pharisees and and religious, leaders, religious rulers, are you serious? It's not what's on the outside that he takes in that defiles a man. Man, you made them mad with that. They're Mishnah. You just invalidated their Mishnah. They're upset with you, Lord. Tell us. And I know what he's, you know what? Oh, man, he's, he, he's thinking, boys, can't you recognize the truth over tradition? <laughs> boys, don't you understand? He says unto them, are you so without understanding also, <laughs> boys, don't you get it? Don't you recognize what's going on here? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Are y'all reading what I'm reading? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draughts, purging all meats. He said, that which cometh out of the man, that, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye. Blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Count them, 13. That's just what he picked, 13. That's an interesting number. 
13. I believe it's in John 13 where the, the devil entered, in, entered into Judas's heart and betrayed the Lord. John chapter 13. Interesting number right there. What he's saying is, he said the things that are coming out of the mouth and what's coming out of the man is something that originated from, in, from within the man. That's what defiles a man. Look at verse 20 again. That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. Very clearly, amen. So tradition will pervert the doctrine of sin. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In fact, go back with me to Matthew 15. I just feel like I need to read this real quick. Matthew 15, help me Jesus, verse 20, verse 20. Matthew 15, 20. And I will conclude. Matthew 15, 20. These are the things which defile a man. There's your list, right? These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. Tradition or truth. Be careful, Bethel, about the danger of tradition. In Portland, Oregon, there's a church very near college, and they wanted to start a ministry to reach out to the young people at the college to bring them into the church, to minister to them that they might get saved. But they didn't really know how to do it. There they were, a full house. I'm talking about a highbrow crowd. Y'all okay with that term? You know, everybody had on ties, and, and they were super overdressed for the worship service. And one of those college kids came in, and the church was packed that day. The choir had finished singing. So many people, the choir's still sitting up there, and the preacher gets up and gets ready to introduce his sermon, and a young man from the college comes in. The young man has very long hair, longer than what some of the people in the church thought they ought to have. But it's not what's on the outside that defiles a man, so be careful. He came in, he, he had on a t-shirt. Everybody else had on dress shirts and ties. Be careful, it's not what's on the outside that defiles a man. <laughs> he, he came down there, he had holes in his blue jeans. and My, my, brother, he didn't have any shoes on. He went to church barefooted. And everybody's like, look at him. And he starts down the aisle looking for a seat. And everybody, the place was full, so full the choir couldn't come down. And as he started to come by some of these rows, you know, Charlie, I want you to scoot over here to the edge so I can't sit down with you. You know, you know how you do? Well, that seat's taken. Be a scoot over. Just like, that's what they started doing. And so he had to get further and further and further to the front. And as he comes down there, there to the front, scoot over, brother Joe. Now the front rows, he sees. So you know what he did? He sat down. Just like this in front of everybody. And they were like, what? What is he doing? And the preacher couldn't even speak. One of the deacons was standing in the back. He's over 80 years old, a very eloquent man. He's on a cane. He's got a tie, well-dressed gentleman. He starts that. The only thing you hear is his cane go boom, 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 as he's walking down the aisle. And everybody knew what he was going to do. He's going to tell that young'un, get up, go out. Get up, you're not welcome here. Get up, come in right, or you're not welcome here at all. You need to do the right thing. We're not going to put up with the likes of you. An 80-year-old man, he comes down through there, 
And the preacher wasn't saying a word. He thought, oh, man. Oh, man, here it comes. He come down there, and he dropped his cane. Boom. 80 years old, and he plopped down on the floor beside him because he wanted to make him feel welcome. Took that boy under his arm. It wasn't just a few weeks and that boy got saved. The preacher, this is what he said. What I'm going to preach today, you probably won't remember. But what you've just seen, you'll never forget. You see my watch? It's broken. But I can take it to the, wa- to the, to the watch fixer. <laughs> And he'd take this thing apart, start working on the heart of it, and make her start ticking the right way. Now I'm telling you, church, if you sit here and say, well, oh, no, we not, we ain't got no, we missing, none of us. God doesn't hit you right in your heart about something that's going on. I'm not telling you that you agree with sin. I'm just telling you, you got to learn to love people. And when you loved him, that boy got saved in just a few weeks because he felt welcome and because he was loved. And then that led to a great outreach into that college. And hundreds of young people came to Christ all because a man named Jesus died on the cross. All because an 80-some-odd-year-old deacon humbled himself and sat in the middle of the floor while they worshipped. Knocked their traditions right in the nose Praise God, it led to people's salvation. Do not let tradition pervert the doctrine of sin. Do not let it produce a critical spirit in you. Do not let it do these things, amen. You stand to your feet. I don't know about you, but there might be somebody here who said, Preacher Darren, man, I'm so, I'm, that hit me. Come on, Seth. It's Wednesday night, but that hit me, Preacher, and I want to go pray about it because... I don't want to be too over-legalistic and too over-critical about stuff, God. And I feel like you're just dealing with me about it right now. You're dealing with me right now. I want to come to the altar. I'm going to go myself. Anybody else? We're, we're waiting. Maybe you're watching at home. It'd be a good time to bow your head. Call on the Lord right now. Say, oh, God, forgive me. Help me, God. Don't let tradition overrule truth in my life, in my family, in my church. Our fathers, we bow our head before you. I thank you for the solemn warning and the admonition you've given, Father, out of the book of Mark, chapter number 7, to my heart. Father, I love you. I praise you and honor you. And I pray, God, you'd forgive me, Father, as you spoke to my heart, where we've become so legalistic, so self-righteous. God, I pray you'd forgive us, God. Help us, Lord, to love what you love. Lord, you love souls. God, that's what we've got to see. We've got to see the soul. And God, if we'd see the soul and not the, per- not the outward appearance of a person, it'd make all the difference in the world. Help us, God. If we're going to err, let's err on the side of love. Father, forgive us as we failed you. And help us, Father, as we go forward. Bless these families that are represented, God. I pray, God, you'd help them, Lord, to fall in love with you and what you love. And for this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Amen.